When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Fry the Coop, Dr. Squatch, and by Triple Threat Sports. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski with you here solo on this Monday night. The Hawks lose 6-3 to the Florida Panthers. James Naveau will be back later in the week. He's vacationing in Arizona. And good timing, James, because the Hawks have not been very good lately. There's a lot to get to. First, I want to tell you how to get in touch with the podcast. You can email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. or on Twitter, at madhousepod. Instagram, madhouse underscore pod. Look us up on Facebook. Uh, Madhouse Hockey C-H-I is the URL uh, tag there. And uh, we're all over the place. Go to madhousepod.com for all things Madhouse Podcast, including a link to our merchandise shop powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris 708-478-6090. Madhousepodmerch.com is the direct link to that site. But again, everything Madhouse Pod, including all of our episodes, live at madhousepod.com. So as this season's gone on, James and I have gone out of our way to remain positive and to look at the bright side of things and, uh, you know, kind of deal with the season through the lens of development and growth and all those sort of things. And I'm going to do that eventually. But the way things have been going over the last little while is troubling. And look, when you outperform expectations, expectations change. And We've spent a lot of time dissecting whether or not this Hawks team is smoke and mirrors, if they're actually good, and I still don't know if we really have that answer, but what we said entering this stretch of games against Tampa and against Florida and against Dallas was that this was going to be the true test for the Blackhawks. They're not playing Detroit. They're not playing Columbus. They're not playing those also-rans in the Discover Card Central Division anymore. Now they're playing the big dogs, and... What we've seen has been a bit of a slap back to reality, I think, for the Hawks. And, um, you know, you're seeing them blow leads. You're seeing the penalty kill struggle. You're seeing them take an exorbitant amount of penalties uh, for a team that really didn't take that many as the year went on, you know, earlier in the season. But everything is sort of unraveling right now for the Hawks. And 
look, maybe this is what they've been all along, but I don't think that's necessarily true. I think they're playing worse than they've played for a lot of this season. And, you know, we're going to get into it. But when we look at, you know, part of the reason the Hawks have been good, let's let's look at the couple things that have kept them in games and kept them competitive. Number one is the goaltending. And Kevin Lankinen was not bad tonight by any means. He played pretty well, but, you know, gave up four goals. Yeah, the Hawks lost 6-3. Two of those were empty netters if you didn't catch the game. And his rebound control has gotten a little sloppy. And I saw our buddy Sam Fells point this out on Twitter saying, look, if you're going to kick out rebounds with this defensive system, you don't know where your defensemen are going to be when those rebounds get kicked out. They could be out at the point chasing their man. They could be along the boards. It's not a traditional zone sort of a defense where you can rely on having a defenseman in front of the net all the time. So getting those rebounds under control, that's going to be the key to Kevin Lincoln and getting back to the place he was early this season when he was blowing our minds. He made an incredible save on Aaron Eckblad tonight. Uh, just a diving, sort of falling forward glove save uh, to keep the game somewhat in control for a while. So again, not that's not Kevin Lincoln's fault. It's really not. He's just sort of coming back to earth a little bit. I still think he's the Hawks' best goalie, but he's not playing superhuman anymore. That's one element. The second, the other thing that kept Hawks in games was their power play. And the power play in this game and over the last little bit has been absolutely abysmal. Just terrible. The Hawks gave up a shorty. I think they gave up more shots to the Panthers on the power play than they had themselves. It was just a bad game on the power play all along. And what James and I always say is, look, if you've got one good special teams unit, that's enough to keep you competitive most nights. You got a great penalty kill or you have a great power play. Chances are you're going to be in a lot of games. And that was the case early this year with the Hawks with the power play. The penalty kill also was pretty average. Well, now you've got the power play looking bad. The penalty kill gave up two goals on three chances. Everything's falling apart right now. And how does Jeremy Cowton rein this thing back in and get it back under control? Right? It was last weekend when the Hawks had a 3-0 lead against Tampa and lost the game. And here's a note from Ben Pope. After letting their 3-1 lead tonight go, the Blackhawks have now blown seven of the nine multi-goal leads they've held since February 1st. That excludes empty netters. They're letting these games get away, and we've seen them have competitive periods against these good teams, and then all of a sudden, everything falls apart. They can't sustain the 60 minutes. And if you want to give Jeremy Colleton credit for keeping them competitive and having them compete against good teams, at some point, with the expectations changing here, we've got to discuss how they're going to get a consistent 60-minute effort. And that, to me, is... And, and I say the word effort meaning performance. Because I don't think it's a matter of effort. I don't think the Hawks aren't trying. I think, if anything... They're trying really, really hard, and in doing so, they're sort of embarrassing themselves. They're sort of falling over the place. You saw Adam Boquist in the first period mention it. We're a little bit scrambly. That's a really good way to put it. They know that they're overmatched, and I look back to that Tampa game, and the ecstasy of being up 3 nothing, and then the agony of losing that game, 
that's the sort of thing that on a young team could have a massive negative impact. And I wanted to see how would Jeremy Cowton manage the fallout from that game. And so far, it hasn't been good. And it's not him. It's not just him. And we knew this season there were going to be some really rough patches of hockey. And the Hawks are in one right now. I'm not ready to say fire Jeremy. I said it two years ago in November. But I'm not ready to say right now, fire Jeremy Cowton by any means. But it's time to try something new, something different. And he did that with the Lions. But they were a little bit... uh, I don't know. I just... I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to shake things up. You're trying to get a different look. But what the Hawks went with was not uh, not 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 exactly what I think I would have done. So let's go over the Hawks lines for you, at least to start the game. You had Kampf centering DeBrinkett and Kane. Okay. Second line, Kubelik's, uh, I'm sorry, Suter centering Kubelik and Hagel. I like Hagel on the second line. Had his second goal in as many games tonight. One of the few bright spots. We'll definitely get to that as the show goes on. Soderberg centering Yanmark and Kurashev, and Carpenter centering Heimar and Walmark. Defense, Dehan and Boquist, Keith and Murphy, Zadorov, Mitchell. I, you know, David Kampf is a guy who I can't quite figure out. Every time I'm ready to say this guy sucks, he has some pretty decent performances. And then anytime I'm ready to say that eh, this guy's pretty good after all, he starts to suck again. And look, I know he's a fourth liner, so I'm not, you know, maybe my expectations are too high for him, but I just don't get the love affair with David Camp. I just really don't. It's uh, It's been kind of a frustrating thing to watch uh, throughout his time here. It almost feels like the Hawks are trying to will him into being a more effective player. Like maybe if we give him more minutes and bigger roles and those sort of things, He'll take that next step. I think what we see in David Kampf is what David Kampf is. That's the guy. What you've seen is David Kampf. That's it. So taking a look at that line, Kampf, Debrinkit, and Kane. Kampf had a 43.75. Uh, Corsi percentage, Debrinkit, 43.48. Identical to Patrick Kane, 43.48. 10 uh, shot attempts for 13 against. Uh, the Fenwick is even worse. They're both at 38.89, 33.33% for camp. So a bad possession night for that line. And look, we've talked about this a lot, regardless of centermen. Kane, and to a lesser extent, Debrinkit, are not possession carriers. They very much have their ships shifts with long-sustained puck possession, working for that one great scoring chance, right? That's sort of the way... They play well in this game. That line generated exactly zero high danger scoring chances. So experiment over. Experiment over. That that line gave up four. You want to know who did have the high danger chances for the Blackhawks? Four for Brandon Hagel. Four for Pia Suter. That second line was the best line in this game. And I know we've been a little bit tongue-in-cheek about it with Brandon Hagel being in the power play. But if you watch the third period, you saw the Hawks get a pair of power plays, right? And as soon as the power play expires, because it didn't do anything, Brandon Hagel's line is the first line on the ice. And it's, you know, it's a mishmash because they just got off the power play. So it's not exactly 
that identical line. It was him and it was Kampf uh, jumping over the boards. And every time Hagel got on the ice, something positive happened. One, he won a puck battle behind the net, centered the pass for a nice scoring chance. He's winning board battles. I I just don't... Look, if you were waiting for the goals to come, he's got to go in, in two consecutive games, three on the season. So maybe now is the chance to give Brandon Hagel a look on the power play. And look, that's not going to solve all the Blackhawks' problems by any means. I get that. I know that. Let's be realistic here. That's not a true... Um, you know, band-aid and oh, maybe it's a band-aid, but it's not a true fix for what's ailing the Blackhawks right now. But now is the time to try some different stuff and get some different looks. It was a very frustrating night. I'm sure Hawks fans feel the same way. A couple other things I want to get to the face-offs. And I know there's been studies done about how winning face-offs doesn't really matter. And you could track it over time. And there's not real a big correlation between winning and losing. But here's what I know. If you're the Blackhawks and you win 25 and lose 40 faceoffs, that's a 38% faceoff percentage for the team. That means that for 52% of the time, that other team has possession when you don't. They're starting the shift with possession. And again, maybe it doesn't result in goals, maybe, but it results in game in momentum, or I guess in game momentum is the better way to say it. If you lose a draw and you have to retreat, that's changing the game. If you win a draw in the offensive zone and you have the puck, that changes the game. It changes your it changes your uh, conditioning if you're de- attacking rather than defending, right? It's easier to attack than defend. There's so many little things that are immeasurable in terms of the fancy stats, air quotes, that winning a faceoff does for you. And the Hawks have been getting slaughtered at the faceoff dot. And I know in the first period, I should have written the numbers down, but I didn't. But in the first period, I think it was like 52% to 48% in favor of Florida. So that's probably the difference of winning like one or two faceoffs in the course of a period, right? Tie game after the first. And then in the second period is when things start to go downhill for the Hawks. And that's when Florida starts winning more and more faceoffs. Again, not causal. That's not why the Hawks lost because they lost faceoffs. But when you start to pile all these things up on each other, you can start to sort of put the, the puzzle together. And faceoffs have been a problem for the Hawks for a long time. Without Jonathan Taves, they don't really have a guy on the team that's really super dependable. Best on the Hawks on Monday, David Camp won six and six. So he won, uh, do the math there in your head, 50%. Uh, Carl Soderberg won eight and lost 10. That's 44%. That's that's not terrible. You can live with that. But 38% as a team is not good. That It's just, it's tough. You're just never, ever have the puck. And Eddie Owen, Pat Foley point this out a lot. A lot of times winning the faceoff is about going and winning those 50-50 battles, right? Like the puck will get tied up at the dot and which team's going to go retrieve that puck. You saw many times in this game the Florida Panthers physically bully the Blackhawks. This is a big, bad playoff team, Stanley Cup contender. There was a moment in the third where Jonathan Huberdeau was coming down the right wing and Calvin DeHaan went to hit him. And DeHaan's not a small dude by hockey standards, right? That's that's a average to above average size defenseman. He bounced off him like a rubber ball. 
It was almost as like Huberto like flicked him, flicked him off like a bug. There was no impact, and he just continued carrying the puck. That's what a Stanley Cup team looks like, and that's what the Florida Panthers are. So, yeah, while this podcast is very negative so far, what we said was this: these coming, these upcoming series against Tampa, against Florida, against Dallas, we're going to be measuring sticks. And right now, the Blackhawks are not measuring up. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski with you here. James Navot vacationing in Arizona very wisely. Good timing, my friend. He'll be back for a full podcast with me on Wednesday or Thursday, depending on how our schedules look. But we'll be back with a full one very, very soon. Uh, before I get to the positives of this game, because it's a vow I made to you, the Hawks fan, that I would do. Uh, one more thing it's time to say. And if you are a frequent or every uh, list, every episode listener of the Madhouse podcast, you have heard me be overwhelmingly patient with Nikita Zadorov. Probably more patient than maybe anybody has been in the Hawks blogosphere, radio sphere, paper sphere, podcast sphere, whatever you want to say. I've been pretty patient with him. Awful in this game. And look, if you're going to be the big bruising guy, if that's your claim to fame, if that's why you're brought in, you can't be getting pushed around in front of your own net. That happened several times. There was a moment in the third where Zadorov had the puck right behind Kevin Lankinen and just threw a suicide pass down the middle of the ice. Almost, It was so close to the net that it almost grazed the side of the net. And Foley and Eddie O called him out on it, saying, dude, like that was really, really dangerous. You can't make a play like that. He's 25. I still believe there's room for him to grow, but he's also a free agent after this year. And have you seen enough from Nikita Zadorov to say, you know, this guy's making 3.2 million this year. Are you willing to go higher than that number for him? What's your number on Zadorov? Let me know. Madhousepod at gmail.com. I, look, I still think that he can turn into a decent defenseman. There have been moments where I say, okay, there's that's what it is. That's what the Hawks saw when they traded for him. But I'm not if I'm Sam Bowman, I'm not ready, I'm not convinced to give him four million, four and a half million, whatever it's going to take to pay him his raise. If he wants to come back for three and a half, maybe four, we can talk about it. If it's short term, just say, hey, you know what? Bet on yourself. If you think you're going to grow into a better player by the time you're 27, sign a two-year deal. At three and a half or four million, and if you succeed, great, you're going to make a crap ton of money. But I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready to give him any kind of big money at all. And I think the time has come for Nikita, just like Ian Mitchell had to do, and um, you know Carlson had to do, and and Bodan had to do. Time to take a, a look from the press box. Time to take a couple games off and regroup, figure things out, 
and see what happens. Because what's happening now with Zadorov is not good. It's just not. And I just talked about how Florida was bullying the Blackhawks. The one guy on the Hawks who should be able to bully them back is Zadorov. And he was getting pushed around as much as anybody. So I think the time has come to give him a couple games off, even if it's one game off. And one of the things that everyone praises about Jeremy Cowton, and I do this too, is when a guy's benched, they sit down together, they watch film, and they talk about what went wrong. And you hope that those few days off help them regroup. And Ian Mitchell, after his two games off, has come back and been better. Right? He's he's looked better than he did before he got benched. Tonight, not great in terms of possession. 10.53% Corsi percentage for Ian Mitchell. But the eye test has looked better. Zadorov, you ask, 32%. Eight shot attempts for 17 against with him on the ice, um, including um, eight scoring chances against for Zadorov, three scoring chances for that was eight against and zero for with Mitchell on the ice. So it's, you're starting to see, right? You're starting to see the wear and tear on this young team starting to take effect and it's not getting any easier anytime soon. The rest of the season is really tough for the Hawks. Yeah, there's a few games in there with Detroit left yet, but we're going to look at the Hawks schedule right now. Tampa. Yep. Again, Thursday and Saturday, Florida again, next Tuesday, next Thursday, then Nashville beatable team. Then you got two against Carolina, two more against Nashville, Dallas. Then the season kind of gets easier. You got Columbus, Detroit, Nashville. Then you end the season with Tampa, Florida, Carolina, and Dallas. So it's not going to get easier. It's it's not. It's it's tough. It's tough to see. Whew. You know, that they've overachieved to this point, but it's going to be an uphill climb for the Hawks from here on out. And look, I'm not I'm not writing them off because they've had a bad week or two. I'm not. Can the power play find its mojo again? Yes. What if Kirby Doc comes back in three weeks or four weeks? Maybe not even that money, right? Possibility. He's on the ice. He's practicing. He's traveling with the team. That helps things big time. Who knows what the situation is with Jonathan Taves? No one, as far as I know. So, I don't know. There's a lot to work through here. I'm not giving up on the season. I don't think you should either. The Hawks have a decent cushion in terms of playoff standings, but it's just been a really tough go. They the, When they get those easier games against Columbus and Detroit and Nashville, they've got to win those games. Those are those are becoming must-wins because of the t- the the difficulty of the schedule down the road. All right, before we wrap up, I want to tell about our friends and Na- Dr. Squatch Natural Soap Company. You've heard me talking about Dr. Squatch for nearly a year now. Dr. Squatch changed my life. I say that and I mean it because I had terrible, cracking, awful, awful hands that caused me physical pain and I was done. I needed a change. I saw an ad for Dr. Squatch on Instagram, signed up, loved it. Everything got fixed in a couple of days. I said, damn, that is a product I truly endorse. I should actually endorse it. 
So I reached out to the people at Dr. Squatch and began endorsing. And it's been a great partnership ever since. So if you want to buy some of the best handmade bricks of soap you'll ever try, made in the USA, by the way, go to drsquatch.com. Use that promo code MADHOUSE20 at checkout, and you'll save 20% on your order while supporting the podcast at the same time. But it's not just soap. The hair care kit, the toothpaste, the deodorant, the cologne, the beard oil. If it smells good and it goes on your body, Dr. Squatch has it for you. So go to drsquatch.com. And again, make sure to use that promo code MADHOUSE20. All right, the positives, we're going to get to them. Here we go. I already talked a lot about Brandon Hagel. I think this was one of his strongest games of the year, really standing out for the Hawks in what was an otherwise pretty pitiful performance by the team. His second goal in as many games, his third on the year, and just out there making things happen. He was excellent again, and I'm, I like to see him playing on higher lines. That's great. Uh, led the team in possession, like I said earlier. Uh, this kid, I, I just love watching him play, and hopefully the opportunity that Jeremy Cowton's getting him now expands even more, and maybe we truly can see him on the power play someday. I really hope we can. I thought Kelvin DeHaan had a solid game tonight. Believe it or not, I was pretty pleased with his overall performance. I know uh, he struggles sometimes because he just doesn't have the physical tools to keep up very often, but I think he had a strong game in this one. 61.11% in possession. And again, I know people are going to get sick of hearing it. Maybe you're going to call me a fanboy or whatever, but I really like what I've seen from Adam Boquist lately. I really do. I think since he's come back from COVID, he's looked like a different player. The defensive game is coming around. You've seen him break up several games in a row now. Odd man rushes. And yeah, the team needs to limit those odd man rushes, but they're not just Adam Boquist's fault. You saw him score a goal in the last game against Florida. His whole game is starting to come around, and it takes time for defensemen to develop, and we're starting to see the development from Adam Boquist. So those are my positives on this night. But that's going to do it because there's not too many more. That was not a great game. Let's hope somehow the Hawks can bounce back a little bit against the Tampa Bay Lightning in this next coming series. With that, though, we're going to wrap things up here on the Madhouse Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. James will be back in our next episode, so stay tuned. Make sure you're following us on all of our social medias, Madhouse Pod on Twitter, Madhouse underscore pod on Instagram, and we're on Facebook. Sign up for those uh, notifications. When a new podcast posts, you will get notified, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cast, whatever you use, subscribe, and you'll get those alerts every time a new Madhouse podcast drops. With that, I'm going to wrap things up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Dr. Squatch, and by Triple Threat Sports. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support because we know you have people depending on you so you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. 
And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.